We're back on What the Funk with my bud, Seelig. That's right. Bud Seelig. <laughs> I don't know if people know who Bud Seelig is. We do. He's the guy that lets steroids run rampant. He got to go to the Hall of Fame, but a bunch of baseball players didn't. Um, good job, bud. But anyways, we're not here to talk about baseball today unless we want to. But John Seelig, not totally an oil and gas guy. You've been tangential to it. You've been around it. You're a comedian. You've got a very unique approach. Um, and I've actually been really excited to have you on. Ben Serxina introduced us. He said, hey, you guys are both Jewish, so you'll probably be friends. <laughs> Tough, Ben. Um, but no, I, you know, John, as I told you, we like to get to know the the people, the personalities. I think this is going to be a fun one. I think we'll laugh a little bit. So question I always ask my listeners is, who are you? Who's John Selig? Sure. Well, to, to, I'm going to kill two birds with one stone right out of the gate. Uh, so I'm not as much of a comedian as I am a former sales guy, enterprise technology sales guy who uses the process of stand-up comedy, which I've performed for 11 years, to help sellers better understand their audience and why their audience should care about them. So I kind of do sales enablement, memorable messaging through the process of crafting jokes. And ironically, that isn't one. That's real. So uh, that, that's the first thing of who I am. The other uh, who I am is I'm based in Montreal and I bear no relation to Bud Selig. And I'm really <laughs> glad for that because he also murdered the Montreal Expos. Right. You know, the last team I ever cared about in Major League Baseball or any baseball for that matter. So you touched a sore spot uh, as a way to, to really launch this conversation. So we're off to um, a bit of a shaky start, Jeremy, but I thank you for having me. <laughs> You're welcome. So uh, we talked about this the first phone call that we had. Uh, you're from Montreal. Um, I'm from New Hampshire, which is only about my house was like three hours from Montreal growing yeah. up. So, um, you know, depending on how long they wanted to shake you down at the border going into Canada, it would be maybe four hours. But um, we used to go, we always used to say, right, you know, the drinking age in, in the US is 21. The drinking age in Montreal is if you can see over the bar. So um, when, when somebody turned 18, you know, senior year of high school, whatever, freshman year of college, we would just go up to Montreal. So I have some really formative memories. Well, I don't know if I really remember everything, yeah. but, but on St. Catherine Street, going to uh, some Expos games, and there were even a couple of Red Sox Expos games that I went to up there, which were pretty fun. It's definitely not like the glitz and the glamour or whatever of Fenway Park. It was kind of a dump. You got dip, dip, spit stains all over the field. You got this gross carpet. But I saw, this is when Vladimir Guerrero was there and he hit the furthest home run that I've ever seen live off of Tim Wakefield. Rest in peace, Tim Wakefield. Um, but he must have hit that ball 500 feet. It was crazy to see. They had some good players. Yeah, that last part checks out. He was, he was the best expo I ever saw. Yeah. Um, and I grew up in an era with like Carter, Dawson. Reigns is kind of my favorite player from my childhood. But Guerrero was like, wow, he was he was incredible. Um, but your assessment of the Olympic Stadium is correct. It is just such a flaming garbage dump of a place <laughs> that we're about to pour a billion dollars into to fix a roof so that we can have like two monster truck rallies there. I didn't even know that it still existed. It shouldn't, but it does. And, uh, and let's that's another sore spot. So we'll move on from that one. I wish they got a team. I don't want to move off of this one yet. I wish they got a team up there. Montreal itself is a beautiful city. The food is awesome. The women are beautiful, right? It's very cultural. It feels like you're in Europe. 
Um, and then the baseball stadium was not representative of the city at all back then. And you've got the water. I could just picture just an unbelievably beautiful modern baseball stadium in, in Montreal kind of sitting on the, on the river. So I don't know, maybe it'll come back at some point. We'll see. Well, first of all, you made a great, a grave error. It's not a baseball stadium. It's a stadium yeah. that they built for the Olympics. Um, and there has been a push um, to bring back a team to get a, there's definitely uh, interested parties locally who want to bring a team back to Montreal. They want to build a stadium right downtown because yeah. where the Olympic stadium is, it's, it's kind of in the East end in a weird neighborhood. Um, you know, it's not a, th- that neighborhood's evolved. It, it's, it's a better neighborhood than it used to be, but it's in a strange place and it's not accessible for after work games. So look, uh, I don't really care about baseball these days, but I, but I wouldn't mind if a team came back at all. I think it'd be great for the city. And um, you also left out how handsome the men are here. Oh, sorry. Yeah, I totally slipped my mind on that one, but <laughs> present company included, right? And just final note on baseball. If you look behind me, that's Pedro Martinez, my favorite baseball player of all time. Yep. Understood. Also a former Montreal Expo. I so, know. Way, to, way to keep breaking my heart. Yep. I'm sorry. Sorry. Thank you for Pedro. So, uh, John, <laughs> tell me a little bit about your your upbringing. Jewish guy, right? But you grew up in, in Montreal. Did you go to school up there? Uh, you got into sales. Tell me a little bit about kind of growing up and all the way through college. I'm going to avoid all the theology talk. That's fine. Uh, I don't know if my faith really is is important here. I uh, grew up in Montreal, spent my 20s in uh, in Toronto, uh, which oh. is a rite of passage for English Montrealers. We moved, to, we moved somewhere else. We leave Montreal. But I came back uh, in the mid-2000s um, to join up. I was selling for Oracle, selling ERP, and I joined up with an Oracle company. Uh, partner consulting practice here in Montreal that was a boutique and I thought they were doing some good stuff with all my clients that I was selling to they were doing a lot of services work they were cleaning up a lot of messes and I just thought it'd be cool to work for the customers versus yeah you know for a large technology company just trying to push up their share price um not always concerned with what customers needs are um and I joined this I joined this firm and it was you know spent six and a half years there and I've never left Ah, Montreal, okay. I should say. I'm still, <laughs> I left them. Since we don't have a ton, well, actually, I do have a good amount of Canadians that come on this podcast because with oil and gas, naturally, Calgary is sort of like a sister city to Denver. Um, that's sort of like the oil and gas capital of Canada. So I've had a good amount of Canadians, but mostly Western Canadians. So I want to know a little bit about some of the differences between Toronto and Montreal. See, here in the U.S., we just have a completely narrow lens of things. That's just sort of our hat, right? So I'm curious a little bit. Talk to me about some of the the differences. To me, Toronto feels like like a Chicago or New York or something like that. Montreal feels like they they think that they're Paris or something. So so talk to me a little bit about some of the differences between those Canadian cities, uh, Montreal and Toronto. Well, look, I don't think Montreal thinks it's Paris. Um, I think it thinks it's different than the rest of North America, which it is because Quebec is, a, is primarily a French-speaking province. There are right. English people here, myself included. There's a sizable group of English people who live here, have been here forever, who come here. Um, but as a result, we, yeah, our attitudes are different. Uh, Toronto, I also like to say that Toronto isn't, a, a lot of like Quebecers, you know, French Quebecers will say that, oh, Toronto's like the States. Right. I'm like, no, it's just Canada. It's it's just an English place. But it, I've lived in Toronto. It doesn't feel like the U.S. at all. Right. Um, but but Chicago is a good parallel. I wouldn't say New York is the parallel. That 
De- it, some, there's parts of Denver actually that feel like Toronto actually. Really? Yeah, I don't know the neighborhood, but I was walking around. I'm like, the architecture is pretty similar. Yeah, it's not on a lake or anything, but uh, mm. it just it just got a there's a similar vibe there. I found. Um, so the differences between Montreal and Toronto. I mean, other than the language, uh, they work a little harder than we do. They're known. <laughs> No, that's true. That's not a joke. I mean, it's there, there's that's where Bay Street is. That's where our Wall Street is. So there's definitely yeah. that. It's a bit more of a workaholic culture. There's a bit more sprawl. It's definitely more congested. But Montreal's grown in unique ways the last few years, and we have a. We're, I still think we're the cultural capital of Canada, even though some will say it's Toronto. Uh, look, they're they're both great cities. Uh, I really like. I like living in Toronto. Uh, I like living in Montreal, and they they both have their ups and their downs, and. Uh, you know, if you if you can handle a second language, um, you know, then Montreal is a good spot for you. Which, which city is colder? Oh, Montreal. There's no doubt. Yeah, Montreal. It's absolutely freezing. We we went up there for Y2K New Year's and the walk back from whatever we were doing, getting pizza at a bar or club to the hotel was like the coldest that I've ever been in my life. Um, it is brutally cold there. Uh, and where is it more expensive? Oh, Toronto by far. Toronto as well. Okay. Yeah. Although Montreal has gotten, uh, since the pandemic has gotten, um, you know, considerably more expensive. We had this reputation for being a dirt cheap place that attracted a lot of artists. Uh, but, but, you know, there's a housing shortage, rents have gone up, everything's gone up here. Housing prices are pretty expensive. So we're catching up. We've narrowed the gap. I would say, I wouldn't say we're catching up, but we've narrowed the gap. A little. Yeah. Interesting. Also just to be clear, um, we're not as cold as you remember it. Things have changed uh, in Montreal. I don't know if we've moved south or something like that, but the temperature, the winters aren't as brutal as I once remember them and as you remember them. This has been a mild December in general. I mean, I'm looking outside right now and it, it's, you know, our seasons here in Colorado can be can be weird. I think April is one of our snowiest months, but it's got to be like 60, 65 degrees out, big blue sky, no snow on the ground. It, generally speaking, this year has been, a little bit warmer somewhere all the way through. Um, so Montreal will become a, like New Hampshire, a more desirable place if temperature keeps ticking up a couple degrees as we go, uh, you know, through the century. So, yep. But um, there's a border that people can't cross, man. You know, they can't just walk over and say, we're setting up shop here. So um, just be mindful of that. You're trapped there. <laughs> you can't, you can't leave. <laughs> now you just can't leave. Uh, I'm fascinated by, by you. Um, particularly because when I think about sales, right, particularly quota driven technology sales, it's serious business, man. Mm. It's hard, right? It's cutthroat. And here you are bringing comedy into it. Like, like how did, how did this happen? What was the evolution of you saying, you know what? Everybody is so serious and stressed out and it's so quantitative and numbers driven. Why don't we have some fun? And why don't we differentiate ourselves? And why don't we bring humor and true comedy into the sales and marketing process? Like, where did this idea come from and, and how do you do it? Yeah. So when I started doing comedy as a kind of a, um, a hobby to escape, you know, my, my tech sales career, people said to me, John, it's so great that you're pursuing your passion. And I said, to be clear, my passion isn't comedy. It's, it's never having a job again. And <laughs> So nice. I started this to kind of because because the first time I was on stage, I realized this this is this is this is sales except yeah. a much crappier comp plan. Like I need to show this audience I understand their their challenges and their pains, and I need to quickly earn their trust 
get them to say, hey, this guy gets us. And I need them to keep reacting emotionally to what I'm saying in order to keep them keep them engaged. And right. if, if you kind of like look at um, a bit or a, a joke or, you know, one liner the comedian does, that's kind of like it's kind of like a sales opportunity. Maybe it's a longer one. Maybe, maybe, maybe it's a larger one. Maybe it's a smaller one. But if I get the audience to laugh, it's like I closed a deal. Yeah. And if I can get X amount of laughs in the time that I'm given on stage, whether it's five minutes, seven minutes, 10 minutes, 15 minutes, it's like I hit a quota. And so you need to keep working on your opportunities and keep refining them. Um, and, and so that you can, you can keep hitting quota over and over, if that makes sense. So there's so many parallels between sales and standup. And mm. I always thought that it would be really cool because I worked at Oracle, there was all kinds of SAP humor that would go around. Yeah. I'm sure. Some folks in the oil and gas industry have heard of those guys. Um, yeah. Yeah. Bigger companies yeah. at least. No, I, I actually think that like, if memory serves and it's been a while, I kind of think SAP has a greater foothold into that space than an Oracle does, but that's a whole nerdy d different discussion for another time. Um, maybe I'm wrong on that. I don't know. No, but, you're right. You're right. Yeah. Okay. Um, and so I remember like I was on a call with one of my pre-sales engineers and we were doing a demo for a, for a prospect or a client, a client actually uh, on global financial consolidation software. And I, as the sales guy, my job is just kind of tee off the demo, say, hey, you told us you, you were looking to solve problems A, B, and C. We're going to show you a demo. And if, um, you know, if we can show you that we can address these three pain points, really, like, is there any reason why you wouldn't buy from us? You know, that was kind of like a tactic we used. But like once the demo would start, I'd kind of like, don't tell my old bosses this, but I kind of go to sleep. Like, I'd, Yeah, no, you, you, know, you, turn, you turn your camera off, you go to the fridge, you get a beer. Right. And then you put your feet up. That's what we do as sales guys, right? Well, there was no, there was no cameras back then. We were working yeah. in the office and this, this is ancient history perhaps, but um, you know, and I just remember saying, I'm going to kind of tune out, but there's always like these happy ears that go off at certain moments, right? Sure. You're sort of like your, your ears become radar to detect certain things. And I had a really dry sales engineer and he had an accent, like a thick accent. And he was really boring. It's a, it's global financial consolidation. It's a boring topic, no matter right. who's delivering it. And at one point he told this joke that was about the challenges of global financial consolidation. Um, and, and the, the, the pro, the customers laughed, like they, they, they were existing Oracle customers. They found it funny. And I'm like, Oh yeah, he made that up on the spot. That was really clever. A month later, we're doing another demo for the same, for the same software. He told that joke again. And he got the same reaction. I said, wow. oh, wait, he, he does this on every call. Do you remember and the he, joke? No, God, no. And, and he, he's getting the same reaction. He's using it at times to earn attention, to demonstrate credibility, to be likable, to show them he, he really understands their challenge. And they're, they're waking up because they're bought, they're, it, it sort of resets their attention span and does all those other things I said. And so I said, wouldn't it be cool now that I know how to write jokes and how comedy works a little bit to help more sales teams and more marketing teams craft mm. humor that shows prospects. I really understand this, this challenge and how it impacts you and maybe those around you. And that's what I set out to do. And that's what I do today. And is it content that's created for 
like outbound emails, uh, you know, phone scripts, um, ha- things to happen within demos. Like where, where is this most applied? Recording videos and sending those to people over Vidyard, things like that. Like, ha- ha- you know, where, where does this come into the process? Well, that's the beauty of it. All of the above. Okay. Um, so I've counted 15 to 20 touch points and channels where if you take a short, quick one-liner, we'll call them, ice-breaking bit of humor, um, that it can be adapted and repurposed for 15 to 20 different channels and touch points. So cold email, absolutely. It's the hook. Right. Um, you know, there's seven cold outreach channels and all. The only one I would say that's some of the jokes you can't use are right on a cold call, but I've kind of crafted yeah. something called, I've created a type of joke called the cold opener where I okay. call you up and I say, Hey, Jeremy, this is John Seelig and this call is colder than blank. Right. And the blank is meant because cold is this great word um, that can be used in many idioms that reflect human emotions. So if you're angry at me, you're going to give me a cold stare. Yep. Um, if you're nervous about something, you're going to get or trepidatious, I guess is the word. You'll get cold feet. If you're if you're scared, flat out scared, you break into a cold sweat. And there's there's like five others like that, or maybe even more. Yeah. And so. You know, what, if, what makes your target persona break out into a cold sweat uh, specifically around challenges that you can solve? So if anyone's listening, it's like, what problems do you solve? How does it make your process? Why are they scared of the problem? And all of a sudden, you can work out a cold, a cold opener that says, hey, this email, this call, this voicemail is colder than blank. Mm. That's a good hook. Well, that's it, right? It's, it's, it's you're highlighting your relevance. You're standing out. You're saying something different. Is it going to get you a million laughs? I'm not telling you it is, but you're going to be different than everyone else reaching out to them. Um, and you're showing them that you understand their challenge. And the goal is to segue into a conversation about that challenge. Do you have metrics or do you believe that it actually leads to better, more responses, better engagement, more authentic human connection when you leverage jokes as part of a sales process, particularly in an opener? So I have a client the, the, who told me they closed some, some revenue off a of cold email. They didn't quite give me um, uh, metrics, but one of my clients told me that he closed 160K, and there was small SaaS, 160K of net new revenue in just two months using these icebreakers at their trade show booth to engage okay. visitors to the booth to educate visitors like on the problems they solve. And when he told me that, I fell off my chair. So they were like, this is the CRO, and he, he's only, he only had a team of five reps. And I wrote them a whack of jokes. I do something called humor as a service. Humor as a service, Haas. You got it. You even pronounced it really well. I like that. Um, and the goal is not to arm them with like a, a whole stand-up comedy act. It's like find a joke or two that you feel will be a great icebreaker to show prospect, to explain prospects or what problems you, you solve for them, how you make their lives better, and get into a conversation about those topics. So that's the best, that's the best use case and the best metrics I have. I have individual reps who message me and say, this works so well, while their bosses aren't always tracking it because they're worrying <laughs> about a million other things. Yeah. I can show you so many screenshots. Um, you know, I use the same joke on so many people that I reach out to uh, this on LinkedIn. So, so if I send you a LinkedIn connection request, I include a note inside the, inside the request. And I say, uh, 
Jeremy, I uh, hope you accept this request despite it being colder than the relationship between sales and marketing. Nice. Yeah, and, and I could I, actually pull yours up. It was something funny. I remember that. that. That's it. And it's like people say to me, I'm accepting this is the greatest request I've ever got. I'm like, it's kind of sad if you think about it because I don't think <laughs> it really is. But, uh, it really the bar is kind of low, people, is, is really all we're trying to say. And it doesn't take that much effort to stand out if you if you grab a pen, paper, doc, um, and just start to start to get some sort of get your relevance to your prospect on a paper, learn a few fundamentals of crafting humor. It can be done and it could be exploited over and over to to delight people and to get get into conversations. So is this like your full-time job? This Absolutely. is what you do. This humor as do. a service. You've started a company where you do humor as a service. Well, humor as a service is a product offering within comedy writing for revenue teams. Okay. That's the company. That Do you have any competition? I mean, I don't know. I'm sure there's some copywriters. Uh, yeah. I think the difference between me and some of some people who may compete with me is that they're usually a little younger. And I've worked yeah. in, look, I sold ERP. I sold um, data warehousing solutions and reporting tools. I've been a consultant. So I've seen like operational issues. You know, I've worked for uh, for some folks who, who invest in companies. So like I understand operational issues and I could go into the reads a little bit more and business process challenges. I, um, and sometimes if you have four years experience of selling, you know, like a, $20 a month SaaS tool and you go into the sales coaching game, you might be lacking some, some expertise and some insights. Yeah. That's a um, fair statement. Yeah. So I, I kind of think I bring some, some real world um, insights and some creative um, juice to the game. I love it. I kind of want your job now. Um, <laughs> If I'm being completely honest, but no, I mean, there, of course, just being in sales, you have a platform to, to leverage humor. So I do think the, the fact that you have that background, right. Of being in sales and then the stand up comedy experience, um, really, really has kind of naturally led you down this divergence of both of those into a company. So congratulations on, um, following what you, what you want to do and, and hopefully smiling a little bit more every day because this is what you want to do. You know? Yeah, listen, it's it's um, some people I'm not going to tell you everyone in the world gets what comedy writing for revenue teams is all about. Um, you know, some people say, oh, you can't train our reps to be funny. And I'm like, I'm not going to train your reps to be funny. We're going to use the process of writing humor to better enable them. Right. Um, so it's that that that's a bit of a some people don't get that. And that's fine. I wouldn't expect them to at first blush. Um, and sometimes, you know, maybe you do just need the messaging versus the enablement piece. Some companies, I love writing jokes about really esoteric problems, business problems. So for example, uh, worked with a company they were doing, um, they're a software that helps privacy and marketing teams manage their global privacy compliance efforts. Okay. It's really boring stuff. Right. Like, it's fun to just convert the, the real problems they're solving into a short, quick, message that people go, oh, that's funny. You know, like yeah. that's, that's a lot of fun. Love it. So you, do you still do stand up comedy or you're done with that? I, I'm in and out. Um, I go through moments where I'm like, you know what? I want to get on stage and test some new ideas and I want to try and refine them because that the process is the most fun part. Um, but 
comedy is it's a scene. And, you know, if you're not in with the right people, sometimes you don't get onto the right shows. So I get frustrated with that a little bit, even though sometimes material, my material gels and it's coming together, but there's these roadblocks. And I'm a bit older than a lot of people who run things. And I've sort of learned to just accept um, that, that I'm going to use comedy more for what I do to kind of like, listen, I speak and I present. So kind of it gives me some stage time and it, it helps me just get a little more comfortable. But I performed for roughly, I don't know, like when the pandemic hit is kind of the, the beginning of my slowdown point. Right. And I used to do clubs and bars and festivals and, you know, crappy open mics as well. So I did it all for, you know, I don't know, eight years or whatever before the pandemic hit. Well, I think a lot of people have aspirations to do that. I mean, I think deep down I kind of do. But, but I've always been worried about like, well, what if you, what if you forget a joke? What if you freeze? What do you do? Has that ever happened to you? You ever oh got off stage or forgotten your your talk track? While it you're is my there? number one kryptonite. Yes, uh, because I'm I'm a writer more than I am a performer yeah. who wants to like just interact with the crowd and say spontaneous stuff. Like I'm a guy who writes stuff and I want to deliver. It. I want to remember it and I want to deliver it. And my third time on stage, my first two times went pretty well, all things considered, they went fine. And my third time on stage, um, I hit the royal trifecta of suck. Which nice. is, uh, I'm, like, the room was only comedians. And it was my first time performing to only comedians. And I had seen these guys do really well. I thought they were really funny. And I got on stage, and I looked out there, and everyone was just sitting with their, with their arms yeah. folded, like, who's this guy? Like, who the frig is this guy? And so and they're younger than me, and I'm feeling judged. And because I started at a bit of an older age. And um, I, I did my first joke. And it had gotten laughs the first two shows and it didn't get the laugh. Yeah. And they're, they're judging me and I blank so hard. Like I just forget it all. Or, or I think, I think it was like early on or somewhere in the middle. And I just, I, I, I didn't want to like walk off stage. I had watched somebody before I had actually gone on stage blank and just they ended up walking off stage. I said, I don't want to be that person. So I had all my notes on my phone, but I had to find them. I was super nervous and it took me 10 minutes, but I got through a five minute set. Yeah. I also got, I also got heckled by a comedian um, in that set. So I, I, I forgot my stuff. <laughs> I bombed. I got heckled by a comedian who was nice. on some sort of psychedelic drugs. Um, it, you know, it happens to the bet, happens to everybody, right? Um, and then I, I blanked and I bombed some more. So to answer your question, to this day, that is the most like that's the thing that's given me the most PTSD in comedy is like forgetting your stuff. And that has been the hardest obstacle for me to overcome. Um, because I know that when I'm presenting, I'm not always when I'm when I'm uh, performing, I'm not always in the moment. I'm right. sort of like I, I know that people sometimes can see that I'm working hard to process like what's in my head and how do I pull it out and present to them as I wrote it on paper. It's not always the healthiest way to do stand up, but um, you know, I've, I've over the years, I've learned to let go of the script here and there, but that's always been my biggest challenge. Yeah. And then you can't dwell on it in the moment. It's almost like you're like being a guest on jeopardy or something like that. And there was a question that you knew the answer to, but you got it wrong and you got to move on quick, right? Instead of just thinking about that one answer, because then before you know it, there's two, three more questions and you didn't even click your buzzer. Right. So you got to be on your toes. Um, and, and totally I, I value and, and understand that. Um, 
want to do a little bit of rapid fire questions for you because I want to get in your head a little bit more. Put you on the spot. That sounds creepy, but all right. Fine. Uh, what is your favorite comedy movie of all time? Oh, man. Uh, it's probably, well, the, the, there's three. And they're all different. So can you humor me, uh, no pun intended, and just allow me to go through all three? Of course. And then I got to tell you mine, too. Sure. Uh, so Dumb and Dumber is like. That's a good one. It's so funny. It, I don't know if it holds up. I haven't watched it in a while. But it, it just for a while, it held that, that place. But something in the last few years has come along and, and probably pushed it out because it's a little bit more modern and that's super bad. That's my favorite. Yeah. Super bad. Super it's, bad. It's so, it's so on the nose and I don't, I don't know how those guys did it. It's just so good. It's so fucking funny. It's yeah. so funny. And the rewatchability of it and the fact that you keep laughing when you watch it for the 17th time is just unbelievable. It's There's so good. There's something there that's so real to my, to my experience growing up. I was kind of like all three of those kids in one um, <laughs> different points in my life. And I just – That's funny. And, and I remember – I don't know if you remember the scene where um, Seth is on the soccer field with Evan. Yeah, of and course. He's, he's telling him something and – the gym teacher's yelling at Seth to get out of here. You're not in this class. And he kicks the ball into the stands and, she, and the teacher says, you're getting that. And he goes, no, I'm not. Like that was just, I had like 17 guys in my high school grade who were exactly, who would do exactly that and say exactly that. No, I'm not like kind yeah. of the bully type, but also yeah. a funny guy. Yeah. yeah. And the third one, it's not a conventional comedy, but I think it's so brilliant. And like, it doesn't really compete with these other two is the big Lebowski. It just makes me laugh so hard. It's weird. I feel like the first time that I saw that, I was expecting it to be the funniest movie ever. And I was more just like trying to follow it and thinking that it was trippy. Right. But then as you watch it more and more, the humor starts to really, really play. And of course, shut the fuck up, Donnie, is uh, a line that I've used time and time again. So um, I, I love it. I love it. And nobody rolls on Shabbos either. I Correct. Know. I mean, there's, there's so much funny stuff in there, whether you get it or not the first time around. The more you watch it, like you said, the subtleties come out. The humor isn't always in the lines. It's in the characters and the quirks. And I just think it's such a brilliant movie and, and makes me laugh pretty hard. It, as well. Right. And even the darkness, right? Like in the serious scene when they're putting, you know, dropping Donnie's ashes over the Pacific and then the wind blows back in their face and blows the ashes on them. I mean, just that, like all that stuff is just so, so epic. So um, I love it. Who, who is your favorite stand-up comedian? Oh, it's a question I hate because I really don't have one. I'm not that I'm not that big stand-up comedy nerd. Um, I'm not someone who like has watched that like 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 there's a whole history of stand-up that I've never paid attention to. Um, it and it changes. It just comes down to who did I see most recently and who made me laugh recently. Uh, look, there's I put comedians into two categories. There's there's offensive, edgy ones. Yeah, which some I'm sure people listening to prefer. Um, to this prefer, I don't know why I'm thinking that, but I just going to say that because more people do like the edgy stuff, but there's also the clean ones. And I, I, look, it's harder to be clean. It's harder to be funny and clean. And I have so much more respect for those guys and the guy on the clean side who I really love lately. I'm not saying he's my favorite comedian ever is Nate Bargatze. I don't um, know who that is. He's, he's inexplicably funny. Um, he's just, he's, he's from Tennessee and he's, he's got a really low key drawl like not a draw but like just low-key delivery and he, there's just something inexplicably 
Um, you can't, he's inimitable is the word. Like he's like, no one could do what this guy does. I can't explain why he's so funny. Um, and, and then on the, the kind of more offensive side, lately it's guys like Sam Marill and Mark Normand. I love a lot. Ronnie Cheng is really funny. I mean, I love Bill Burr, but yeah. you know, he's been around a while. So like, there's always like the newness factor of a comedian you see and you're like, oh man, that made me laugh. And that's how I'm into now. But there's a, there's a guy I'm going to put out there. His name is Sean Keen. Okay. And he's, he's no longer with us. He's from Montreal. And when I was 16, uh, used to go see him at the comedy works here in Montreal. And he just, he had a whole persona, which, which 16 year old kids hadn't seen. He'd come out with like a trench coat, slick back hair and, um, sunglasses. And he just had a gruff, he just did gruff, offensive kind of like dark one-liners. Like that was his whole act. And so I, recommend people kind of check that out it might be a little dated but they're still pretty funny yeah i mean that's you listed some that i know some that i don't know but but i agree one of the more fun nights of my professional career actually was in los angeles where we went to um the comedy store Uh, and it was just a series of comedians presenting i think they each had 10 minutes and it was a lot of relatively famous comedians that were going there. It's where I got exposed to Chris D'Elia. Um, and I think Dave Chappelle even came on Joe Rogan, uh, for 10 minutes, just one after the next, you could see like, what's your flavor? What's your style? It must've gone on for like five hours. I mean, at that point I left my face hurt, you know what I mean? From smiling and laughing. Some engaged with the audience. Some didn't. Um, I remember at one point, I forget who it was, but somebody came out and uh, he's just sort of like standing there and you know, kind of checking his hat and playing with stuff. And he's like, what? And the crowd's like, come on. He's like, what? Like when you go to work, you just start working right away, right? You know, just yeah. kind of fuck around for a couple of minutes, right? So I just thought, all right, that's a fun way to engage and, and differentiate. So well, um, but I mean, you're, touch, you're touching on something, which is comedians, they know how to like call out the elephant in the room. Um, whether it's something that's literally in the room or whether it's something that society uh, is confronting. Um, so it's about speaking about, you know, truth, things that are painful. And, uh, and I mean, there's no reason why we can't do this in, in sales and marketing. Yeah. Yeah. No, I love it. I love it. Um, so you've mentioned to me as well in discussions about actually like not being a booth babe, but being like a booth comedian. Right. Like you literally stand at booths at conferences and tell jokes and try to get people to come and see and, and, and do demos. Is this really a thing? You actually do this? Well, full transparency. I haven't done it yet. Okay. But my client, uh, who I mentioned earlier, the one who, who closed significant revenue, they just took the jokes I wrote and did it themselves. And that's an approach, but not everybody is able to sort of kind of be a little sticky, I guess you can say. And so I'm looking to work with companies to help them engage visitors to their booth to sort of get the conversation started around the problems they solve um, for visitor for anybody at that, let's say, trade show. Um, alternatively, some booths don't know how to drive traffic in the first place. Maybe your giveaway isn't going that hot. <laughs> um, other than, you know, so there, there, there's, two, there's two ways I can help. Number one is, do you want to improve how you engage visitors to your booth? So imagine, Jeremy, like you're, you're a sales guy for the company that I'm working with. Correct. Somebody um, wanders over and is like, 
they're kind of looking around and we have a choice. We could say, Hey, do you want to enter a giveaway? Do you want your badge scanned? Which no one does. Right. But what if I say, Hey, do you want to hear a joke about, um, project management of your, uh, of your, of your, what's what's the correct terminology? I'm going to expose myself here, but like for, let's say a project site, we want, we want to measure a given um, drilling project. Is that a good way to put it? There you go. Measure, right. measure the effectiveness or the cost of a specific drilling project. Let, let's say that's what your company does. Hey, you want to hear a joke about the challenges associated with effectively measuring profitability of a drilling project? I mean, what's that other person going to go? They're going to, the, the likely response is like, all right, what do you got? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. And so at that point, I deliver a joke or two that highlights, again, the, these challenges of what sucks about measuring profitability. And two things are going to happen. Yeah. Either they're not going to laugh. And at that point, they're going to go, well, that, that's interesting. Because the joke is rooted in real truth and subject matter expertise. Right. So they might go, that, like, that's not very funny, but like, I want to talk about that. Great. You as a sales guy, have your conversation. I'm going to go see if I can make someone else laugh. But if they do laugh, at that point, you can go to them, well, why are you laughing at that? And they're going to say either because it was a problem in the past, it's going to be a problem in the future, or it's a problem right now. And either way, you're in a conversation with them about something that matters to them. Versus, and, you, and the ice has already been broken. Meanwhile, I sidle off and I go, go up to someone else and say, hey, you want to hear a joke about managing profitability of your next drilling project? Right, right. And another sales guy is standing next to me and someone's like, same idea. All right, what do you got? And it's just a way, like if I can do that all day, I'm confident I get uh, sellers into more conversations, book more meetings. And if they're not having traffic, I'll do a five-minute stand-up set every hour um, with the jokes that I've written. And hopefully we can get people talking about it, engaging people. I mean, this is awesome. And and then, you know, at, at a show where people are walking around and talking, Maybe you get some of that like, hey, did you go to the joke guys booth, right? And they got like a comedian over there making jokes. It's actually kind of good. Like th- this, is, this is cool. I got to give you credit, man. I mean, obviously this is creative and it's bold and I hope you can continue to monetize it, but I feel like I need to bring you with me to a conference or something like that. Let's do it. Let's, 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 get, let's write some jokes. Let's film some reactions to people's. That's um, a good idea. Yeah. And, and I listen, I also think, Every company that I work with or just take the jokes that I write and deliver themselves, they can be recording those reactions and turning them into content uh, for whether it's LinkedIn, not just for the company page, but for people's personal brands. I'd like to do some, would you just get a Slack message in the background or something? I did. (laughs) I'm just kidding. I'd like to do some, some more of that too. You know, not, not too long ago, I filmed like I had a professional um, TikToker follow me around and sort of film like a day in the life. And it was just like mostly all serious. So now I want to incorporate some of the lighter side. And I think what you're talking about is, is exactly doing that. So um, I love it. Well, John, I had a blast on this podcast. Thank you so much for coming on. Uh, where can people find you? Where can they reach out to you? Um, how can they engage you and in, in your services and, and uh, all that fun stuff? Yeah, I would say best spots are, are my website, J-O-N-S-E-L-I-G.com. So johnseelig.com. There's no H in John. And find me on LinkedIn. Those, those, are, those are the two best spots to get a hold of me. Well, that's great. 
That's great. And hopefully you start putting some more or you continue putting more jokes and, and content out there that people can relate to. It, it is particularly niche, right? What, what you're doing now. So not everyone's going to find everything funny, but um, John Selig, John, J-O-N-S-E-L-I-G.com. And you can find him on LinkedIn. John, this was a fun one. Very different from most of the other podcasts <laughs> we have, but, um, but certainly enjoyable. So thanks for, no, thank, thanks for having me. And uh, this has been a blast and I, I, I can't thank you enough.